This is Rocks to Roots, a podcast presented by the Spokane Conservation District. This podcast series is intended to share education and resources related to land management, conservation practices, and celebrate some of the great stewards of our land here in our region. Thanks for tuning in, Rocks to Roots listeners. This is another episode of Rocks to Roots, conservation conversations from the backyard to the back 40. I'm your host, Hillary, and I got my co-host, Dwayne, with me. Good afternoon, Hillary. How you doing? I'm doing good. All right. It's a wonderful day out today. Yeah, we are having some beautiful weather, but it, the seasons are changing there a little bit. Oh, it looks like fall's coming up right upon us here. Yes. Maple leaves are turning already. Mm-hmm. Does that mean we're getting snow? Oh, don't say that word. I hey, told no, you that's no, we my need swear that word. this year. Come on, that's we need my to swear word. You can't. Uh-uh. <laughs> no, it's my favorite time of the year, though. I'm a fall girl. All right. So yeah. pumpkins and Uggs? Pumpkins, farms, Uggs, <laughs> ciders, all that. Yeah. Yes, all the good stuff. <laughs> Check all the boxes. <laughs> well, and thank you for bringing up uh, the season because we do have two events that I want to let you all know about. So the first event coming up is going to be the Spokane Conservation District Conservation Celebration, which actually, ironically, falls on National Public Lands Day on September 25th. So head over to our website, spokanecd.org slash events, and check that out. You're going to want to RSVP to those activities that are going on that day. It's a full day of fun for the entire family. And the second announcement I want to make is that we are bringing back our Farm and Food Symposium, which will be taking place on November 5th and 6th down at the Centennial Hotel. So um, that is going to be a lot of fun. We're excited to bring this conference back to Spokane, all about regenerative ag practices. And this year, our keynote speaker is going to be Ray Archuleta, certified soil scientist with the Soil Science Society of America. So stay tuned for more information and registration links on that. Also going to be listed at spokanecd.org slash events. All right, well, let's jump into our episode today. We are super excited to be sitting down with Mariah McKay. She is the founder and the executive director of Spokane Independent Metro Business Alliance, a.k.a. Simba. Welcome to the show, Mariah. Thanks, Hillary. I'm really excited to be here. I've been looking forward to this for months, even before we got scheduled. I thought, I'm, I'm going to be on that show someday with all these fun people and uh, continue the conversation about soils and land and plants and living things and how we all do that together here on the face of the earth. Awesome. Well, we are a big fan of yours and everything you are doing for the community, and we're going to get into all of that. But um, just tell us a little bit about yourself. Where'd you go to high school? Are you a Spokane native? What's your background? I'm a born and raised gal, uh, fourth generation. Both sides of my family came through Montana. They were settlers, homesteaders, land stealers there. Uh, in both, you know, western Montana and northeastern Montana, multiple generations um, raising dryland wheat, you know, working in railroads, lumber yards, uh, cattle ranching, the whole nine yards. And uh, my mother came out to Whitworth, um, 
Awesome. My, my grandfather's quote about her choice to move away to go to school was, out there in all those goddamn trees <laughs> <laughs> behind the pinecone curtain up in North Spokane. So I was born in a small World War II house on West Hawthorne Boulevard, right next to Whitworth campus. And that home was a theme house for a while. And then it got raised to be the soccer field. And then I moved up the hill to North Five Mile. And our um, you know rancher at the time abutted a natural area uh, that was a wildlife corridor. Um, between several public parks and and some of the lands out by St. George's. And it was a lovely way to grow up um, with a forest at your fingertips and uh, saw the destruction of that um, beautiful land, you know, um, with a California developer who irresponsibly developed it. I mean, it's just a whole, you know, I I saw it firsthand that um, how land management and policy you know, determines where, what gets destroyed, what get, gets built, and for whom and how. Um, and so in, even in, you know, fifth grade, I had my girlfriends hiking out um, on the construction site, and we were pledging pennies to buy back the land and turn it into a, a conservation trust. Of course, that never happened, but oh, I love it. we had big <laughs> dreams. And, um, yeah, so I, I, you know, love this semi-arid conifer forest that we call home. <laughs> I have a lot of good memories here, and um, I kind of, I just, even though I'm a young soul, I'm 37, I, just because of this family history, and in our family, we share a lot of stories, and we have a decent amount of self-knowledge, I know not all families get to know their history, mm-hmm. but um, I, I kind of see what's happening here in a, in a longer story arc, you know, mm-hmm. so I, I feel like we are all part of something that's, um, has a yet-to-be-undetermined future. So anything we can do now to improve those outcomes uh, 30 years from now makes a big difference. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. So went to Mead High School, MEAD, Alternative High School, and uh, got out of here as quickly as I could. Um, thought I was a science geek, but realized that was an interest and not a passion, and got homesick for the weather, um, the people here, and came home, and we'll take it from there. Nice. Sounds like you were destined to do exactly what you're doing right now. Yep, it's a it's a bit of an obsession, a life calling, if you will. Heck yeah, that's awesome. That's amazing. Awesome. So let's jump into the Spokane Independent Metro Business Alliance, aka Simba. Um, so tell us how'd you get the idea for Simba and a little bit about its emergence into the community. Absolutely. So, gosh, when I came back home, I thought it was going to be temporary. Never planned to live my life out in Spokane. Um, And got a job at a community radio station downtown in the community building block and really saw firsthand how cool Spokane was. Started getting involved in neighborhood organizing and local political races and um, just got involved in the city's Human Rights Commission and was just kind of a baby, you know, feeling things out. And it just, Spokane tugged on my heartstrings and I got a quote-unquote real job in the biotech field in the U District. Um, But that had a kind of industry bubble that didn't last long and got recruited to work at a place called Community Minded Enterprises. And there I got to do grant writing during the worst recession in recent history of, you know, the 2008 collapse. Mm -hmm. Uh, So that was a tough Uh, environment in which to cut one's teeth as sort of a social entrepreneur. But I learned a lot from that organization that's still around today and does a lot of excellent work, especially in the childcare arena. But at the time, they had a green business development initiative and were doing youth engagement work and had 
started a festival called Sustainable September Spokane. And along with my friend and colleague, Shallon Knowles, who helps was, you know, work on Out There Monthly currently, um, her and I were, you know, tag teaming on this month-long sustainability festival. And we had over 100 events planned for a single month, and we themed them out into eight topic areas. And one of those topic areas was green business. And the keynote event for that kickoff um, was at the um, Masonic Temple Event Center and was headlined by a a brilliant woman uh, named Michelle Long, who is the founder of the Business Alliance for Local Living Economies, which was actually headquartered in Bellingham, Washington, of all places. And basically, she uh, riveted the audience, electrified the room, this 300 you know, business owners at this green business luncheon, which Spokane had never really had an event like that before. Yeah. Um, no, no one was really talking about the intersection of the environment and business at the time. And so, and people were really excited about it because they wanted to see what it was about and where it was going to go. And by the end of the event, um, small business owners in the back of the ballroom were throwing down checks on the table saying, we need to start one here in Spokane. You know, how can Bellingham, a smaller town, have this thing, this cool thing that we don't have here in Spokane? Let's be the leaders. Let's make it happen. Um, So they were kicking around what, you know, how do we come together? How do we provide value to the businesses involved? And um, it kind of stalled out after a few years. It was really tough in the wake of that economic collapse um, to mm-hmm. keep going. Um, so things kind of paused for a bit, and I went on my own professional adventure, which we won't get into today. Um, but, you know, after three years in Olympia and learning how to do uh, grassroots community organizing and leadership development work, uh, I was able to bring that back to Spokane with a partner and um, was able to um, work at the health district for several years, promoting uh, walking, biking, and busing instead of, you know, driving that car four blocks to the grocery store, you know, where, where you can catch an alternative means of transportation. How can we reduce those single um, occupant vehicle miles traveled and, you know, be healthier and be more resilient, have more options and choices available to us. So I, I worked on that and Safe Routes to School, um, but eventually really wanted to revisit this green business work and uh, business organizing in general um, as a way to look at some of the challenges that we face um, economically in our community at large. Um, Mm -hmm. And so at a a kind of root cause level, for me, uh, business organizing is um, an essential way to look at creating social and environmental and economic and social and other kinds of change. Yeah, definitely. And so for those who might not be familiar with that term green businesses, what does that mean? Well, you know, traditionally it has started with businesses that provide um, services that might be more um, ecologically sustainable or beneficial than other traditional products or services. Uh, But green business has become grown quickly to mean so much more. Mm -hmm. Uh, You don't have to be selling a green product per se or making widgets to be a green business. You can be a business that, you know, contributes 1% for the planet, or you can, um, you know, participate in land back movements to try to right our relationship with stolen land. And there's just, there's a lot of ways to be a green business. And um, there's more and more recognition for that as a field Um, I was surprised, you know, and we'll talk more about it later on, but um, walk into the mall and Athleta is a B corporation, you know. Um, (laughs) 
yeah, and there was just a, like a, I asked a local realtor if she was interested in learning about what it would mean to become a B corporation, which is certainly a type of green business. Um, that's, you know, the environmental impact of a business is one part of overall business impact that is part of this B Corp assessment um, system okay. that's growing in popularity and awareness. Um, and nobody in the thread knew what that meant. And someone was like, it's socialism. And I'm like, no, Athleta in the mall is a B Corp. Clearly it's not, <laughs> you know. <laughs> So there's just, there's a lot there and there's a lot of need for education and conversation. And that's why Simba needed to start as its own nonprofit business association is to leverage resources to participate in those educational dialogues to raise awareness and um, kind of create an appetite for different possible futures. Love it. So what is the mission of Simba and how do you go about executing that mission? Sure. So our mission is to work with business members, individuals, and community partners to create a more equitable and resilient regional economy. Nice. And uh, yes, so, you know, economic development is a pretty niche sphere that you think of only a, a small number of maybe economists somewhere crunching numbers and, you know, doing some things for the big businesses in the area. Uh, but we see economic development very differently. Uh, everyone is a part of our economy, and therefore we think uh, more people should have an interest and a voice in um, what is possible in our economy and how do we work together to create opportunities, uh, especially for people who've been historically excluded from taking advantage of them. Awesome. And so um, we have a number of, of different programs, and we're a membership-based organization working with both businesses and individuals. We have a consumer council that works in conjunction with our business members, and we've been able to do a lot of fun projects and experiment with what our members need and get the most benefit from over the years, and we've been small and nimble enough to pivot during the pandemic to provide a lot of value in these crisis times as well. Mm-hmm. Yeah, definitely. I see all of those resources that you've been putting out in the midst of COVID, and I know we're going to talk about that in just a little bit, but yeah, you guys are doing some awesome work. And if someone out there wanting to become a member, how would they go about doing that? And uh, what sort of benefits or costs are associated in becoming a member? Absolutely. So the easiest way to join is on our secure website. We have a tab for both businesses and individuals or consumers as we organize both constituencies. And for businesses, we actually offer a sliding scale business membership, which is unique for organizations like us. Usually it's kind of a um, prefix, you know, menu of, of tiers and benefits. And we like to offer our um, tiered benefit model on a sliding scale. And we offer benefits in five primary areas. So everything from customer development to marketing support, networking, technical assistance, and also um, advocacy coaching and support um, are the five main areas of benefit we provide to businesses, but we do a lot for our members that also isn't listed on our guaranteed benefits sheet. Um, so one time, uh, we had some member leaders who uh, were very talented, you know, community leaders and individuals and small business enthusiasts, um, Ryan Louie and Sarah Peterson teamed up and they published a magazine for Simba members. And our first 16 um, sustaining and strengthening level members were featured in that publication. 
And so there's just, you never know what uh, is going to emerge from the grassroots when you're working with visionary people who are hungry to team up and collaborate around positive change. So um, that's awesome. And are those volunteer spots or are they staff spots or do people just say, I want to volunteer? And, you know, if they are leaders and say, you know, this business or this category and want to just offer their help and assistance? Yes, we have, we have many volunteer leaders. Okay, um, cool. And people, you know, will step forward around a given project and then maybe step back as life changes or um, for the first two years of our organization, we had a consumer council that was volunteer-led, and we met monthly at different local businesses. That was definitely a fun, but then COVID kind of put the kibosh on that um, for, for the time being. But we also, we do contract with our member businesses pretty regularly um, to deliver programs and services uh, when resources and opportunities align. Um, and we will be growing our team of staff members in the coming months, so there's a lot of different ways to engage with us. Um, the, so the three levels of benefit are supporting, strengthening, and sustaining. And that supporting is anywhere from $150 to $499. The sustaining is $500 to $999. And their strengthening members are $1K and up. So that's been a really uh, useful rubric for us um, in how we align businesses to be able to do these things that other you know, government grants or other forms of funding wouldn't be as flexible to allow us to do the unique work that we do. And then for individuals, any contribution over uh, $15 makes you a member for the year. And so all of our memberships are annual and renew unless otherwise requested. And um, we have a growing audience of folks and are excited for the future. It's been been a wild ride to this pandemic. So it's... Um, We've held it together, and we're poised for more growth. Awesome. Yeah, that's great that it really is that grassroots web of people. You know, you get to just build off of each other and make those great connections. And I think that is one of the, my favorite things about Spokane, because I'm a Spokane native too. It's just the huge sense of community and how everybody either knows each other, one, first off the bat, or they're just willing to jump in and help because, you know, they know of the business, they love the community, they know of the, the family or anything like that. So uh, you just brought up COVID, and I want to touch on that for a little bit because um, that's the other thing that makes Spokane so great are these local businesses, and I know that they've just been having a real hard time through all of this. So what were some of the resources that Simba provided to um, some of these businesses during that COVID time? Quite a few. Um, and of, of course, we were right there with a lot of other organizations um, providing access to PPE and other material resources. Um, but beyond that, there was a lot of uh, scramble for information about um, recommendations for operating procedures, um, questions about HR law, you know, and um, unemployment benefits for employees and when people can come on and if they're taken back, does that mean monies were, that were received from a loan program to cover the costs of the closure of the business? Or are those still eligible to be received? Mm-hmm. I mean, you'd be surprised how quickly um, the fine print stacks up. And when you're a sole proprietor or even a dual proprietor, which is the vast majority of our business members, aren't just small businesses. They're what are known as 
micro enterprises. Um, you'd be surprised how large a quote unquote small business is from you know the government's perspective. It's anything under 500 employees. Um, so you know a lot of the economic support systems out there weren't really designed for grassroots entrepreneurs, which mm-hmm. we feel, which we know, are really um, a major players actually in our local economy and in you know the employment landscape. Um, and right now they're feeling that pinch of, you know, the, the work crunch for a variety of reasons that have, you know, created that labor shortage in a variety of industries. Um, so we've been, we have a jobs page. We help advertise openings for our business members who are looking to hire. Um, many of our consumer council members have actually gone to work at Simba member businesses. Um, we can write them good recommendations because we've worked with them on a volunteer basis and the businesses recruited people from our individual membership pool. So there's, there's kind of unique ways which our individual members and our business members work together. Um, before the pandemic, we were doing things like focus groups for new product launches. You know, a professional focus group could cost you $20,000. Most of our entrepreneurs don't have that kind of money, so they'd bring their product to our consumer council meeting, and um, a cross-section of folks of different ages and backgrounds would try it out and, you know, give feedback to the entrepreneur. Um, and we'd also show up for soft lunches. You know, you don't want to have a bad Yelp review on your very first day when you're figuring out systems or, you know. Mm-hmm. And so it just helps to have people there who can share and, and tag themselves in that location, help, you know, gamify that the ranking systems on the various, you know, kind of tech monopoly platforms that a lot of small businesses are dependent on right now to get their word out there because they don't have a traditional advertising budget. So they're doing new media and social media to try to represent themselves um, so we help hack that system <laughs> as <laughs> well. Great. Yeah. Um, but we did a lot of traditional, uh, business response and support. So connecting businesses with industry specific grant programs, uh, helping them connect to accountants to get financial documents in order so they could prove financial need. Um, and on top of the traditional, you know, just helping people, apply for relief grants, many of whom um, either initially didn't know about the relief grant program or wouldn't have finished their application to the utmost completion if we hadn't had a, grant, a professional grant writer assisting the business owner who's never written a grant in their life. Now, trying to squeeze business owners into a, a granting system was like putting a square peg in a round hole. You know, business owners are good at their product or service, not at writing grants. <laughs> it's just a total cultural mismatch there. Um, and so that was um, kind of getting into the next part of the talk about our Live Local campaign. Um, we were able to do a whole promotion there for the benefit of the small business community that was really struggling. But uh, we were able to also, through Lo- Live Local, do our own regranting program. So we were able to distribute 31 grants, um, and many of those were to buy products or services from local businesses and work with the business on a distribution plan to pair up with a COVID-impacted population. So it could be, you know, low-income parents within District 81 schools, for example, Mm -hmm. or it could be um, immigrant families or seniors who are suffering in isolation through the peak of the pandemic, Um, You know, a lot of different groups that were uniquely impacted, we were pairing them up with small businesses and what those small businesses um, do best, which is their good or their service. And uh, that was a win-win situation. That was a very popular program. Um, And it was a very non-traditional way to respond in a crisis and help money, uh, quote-unquote, trickle down to where it really needed to go. Because by and large, that doesn't happen. 
Yeah. <laughs> By and large, right. you know, the people who were best able had the bigger, biggest catcher's mitt got the most. Mm-hmm. And that was exactly not what that money was supposed to be about uh, with the PPP program and the IDLE program initially. You know, subsequently, more um, finer-tuned offerings were made to try to make that those resources more flexible. Uh, but still, when you're talking about the smallest business owners, those micro-enterprises, and, and especially, you know, businesses owned by... Community, you know, leaders in communities of color, um, there's just not the same networks and approaches. And so a one-size-fits-all approach with the big systems we have in place through the SBA don't always land where they need to land. So mm-hmm. we've, been, we've done a lot of advocacy work, um, trying to educate and um, have, have helped organize with the Carl Maxey Center, the um, Business Equity Coalition of the Inland Northwest, which is a new coalition, um, still kind of getting its sea legs underneath of it, but uh, a lot of fantastic groups, including AHANA, the um, Asian, Hispanic, and Native American Multi-Ethnic Business Alliance, AHANA MEBA, that's, a, that's an acronym for you. Yeah, no kidding. Um, the Inland Northwest Business Alliance, which is our region's LGBTQA chamber, and the Hispanic Business and Profes- Professional Association, uh, the Native Business Development Center, and the Carl Maxey Center. So these are organizations that... Um, some have been around for a long time and have, you know, community name recognition. Others are more recent, and you'll be hearing more from them. And um, this coalition really wants to look at those discrepancies um, in business ownership, and not just in terms of per capita business ownership rates, but between different ethnic communities, are there differences in types of businesses owned? Are, you know, the size of those businesses different? You know, is the profit margins different? Uh, where are they located throughout our city? You know, are there certain, you know, you can have a food desert. Well, do you have a people of color owned business desert as well in Mm -hmm. certain parts of, you know, due to real estate prices or development histories, um, going back to the land use issue. Um, So there's a lot for us to do together. Uh, Yeah, (laughs) absolutely. And so, yeah, um, we, we did a lot for not just businesses, individual businesses in COVID, but for organizing the business serving community in COVID and doing that through a more intersectional lens of asking who's not at this table, who needs to be here, you know? That's so great. Um, so it's, it's been uh, hmm, a scintillating, I say that sarcastically, uh, two years and the work continues. 2021 has been just as um, fast and furious is 2020. Um, and it's unrelenting. Um, but we'll, you know, we're teaming up and learning to work together and we'll get there. Well, that's really admirable. I mean, everything that you just said, it's made so many good points in there, but the biggest thing that you mentioned was just giving, yeah, these business owners and these organizations a community to rely on each other because, yeah, being a small business owner or just a business owner in general can be a pretty daunting, and I'm, my parents were business owners, and I know that there was a lot of times when, you know, they kind of felt alone when they're trying to navigate those things like grants and stuff because it's, you're exactly right, they're all about their product and their services, and some of that stuff can make you go a little cross-eyed as well. <laughs> Complete foreign language. That's yeah, I've noticed about definitely. It. Yeah. So, uh, so all these organizations that you just mentioned and with all that you do, uh, where does a small farm uh, fit into this community, and do you work with them hand-in-hand? Hand? And also, are they now, uh, as you said, a micro-business versus a 500, <laughs> quote-unquote, small business? Right. Um, 
so there's a lot of different kind of farms out there, just like there's a lot of different kind of businesses, obviously. But we have had farmer members uh, with Simba since the start. Actually, I thought that's how you got in touch with me because you had uh, Tom Foote on here. Yes. And um, at the end of his interview, he he gave me a little shout out. And I was like, yeah, Tom, thanks, he man. Did. He totally did. Um, <laughs> <laughs> and so um, actually, you know, the Link Foods Cooperative, um, gosh, you know, Joel Williamson, one of the co-founders at Link, was Simba's founding board chair. So we have a long history of oh, that's great. Looking out for yeah that community, and so that gets to a great point about the geography of our membership. So you know where over what area do we define the local economy? And for us, you know, we see that as the inland northwest. Um, we don't like to call it an empire. That's very that's pretty loaded language um, of colonialization, to be quite honest about it. Uh, but, you know, the Inland Northwest, it's an interesting, you know, conjunction of ecosystems and resource-based economies that Spokane really is situated in the center of. It's the Upper Columbia River Gorge watershed, by and large, mm-hmm. and it crosses state and international boundaries. Um, and there's actually been books published on the subject, um, something like un- like imagined territories or something. I read the whole book of a local professor about um, how Spokane sees itself as a micro region and people outside of Spokane don't understand that we see ourselves as sort of like this, you know, like the Greek city states, you know, Spokane is the capital of a non-existent city state (laughs) called the inland Northwest. (laughs) (laughs) And it's, you know, Northern Idaho and Eastern Montana and up into Southern Canada Mm -hmm. and touching into Northeastern Oregon and, you you know, this whole, um, region that has seems to have it all, or at least did until some of these things were horribly mismanaged. And you know, now you guys are actively involved in trying to uh, change some practices and um, save what little we have left and mm-hmm. kind of you know get people to think about the land and what it does for us differently, which is very important. Um, so, any business in the inland northwest is eligible to join Simba. Um, awesome. And we're you know, so like the grain shed is a you know, lead us. Uh, strengthening member and um they have their co-owners are out there in st john and the palouse and the grains that are coming from the countryside are feeding the people in the city and we'd like to see more of those kinds of innovative worker-owned urban rural partnerships economically speaking at the local level that's the way of the future that's the way to build um you know food security and um, other forms of systems resilience in the face of a very uncertain, increasingly disruptive world. Mm-hmm. Yeah, well, we have a whole South Spokane Farm Corridor and soon-to-be Valley Corridor that um, we got to get you in touch with. I'd love to have you at mm-hmm. a meeting for sure. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so, okay, I want to switch gears. We got lots to cover with you, Mariah, because <laughs> you have so many great things that you're involved in. Um, so talk to us. You brought up... Um, Impact local in the Northwest. Is it business impact local? Impact local in the Northwest. Okay. Yes, this is an initiative we started in partnership with one of our founding strengthening members, Measurement Consulting. Okay. So Kara Odegaard at the time volunteered to be our board secretary, and she's since gone on to be a director of sustainability initiatives with the city of Spokane and has been uh, working on gathering community feedback about the Community Sustainability Action Plan, or the City of Spokane's Action Plan, um, looking at climate change and so on and so forth. 
Um, love but, to have her on the Yes, you absolutely. <laughs> Another Simba member. You could just go through the membership, business membership directory on our yeah. website and Why pick why? them out. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, and so anyhow, um, this is all about, they're one of, one of the things that their um, social impact consulting company for businesses does is help companies walk through the B Corporation certification process. Okay. And so uh, B Corporation is simply a publicly accountable system for evaluating a business's impact on the collective good. Okay. So traditionally in our economy, we're looking at the bottom line because that's what's easiest to measure, right? Accountants can just put a number on anything and people are either buying it or they're not and that establishes value. And from there, we're just, that's the one lens that we're looking at. But other things in life are harder to put a price tag on, Mm -hmm. uh, like people and our environment and the ways in which we make decisions together. You know, what's the price of tyranny? You know, that's a rhetorical question. You know, what's, you know, how much would you pay if you could buy democracy? Well, you can't buy democracy. It's much more complicated than that, right? So we're advocating for um, a quadruple bottom line economy. One, you know, looking at a business's performance through the lens of not just profit, but also its impact on people, the planet, and on policy and, and internal and external governance. You know, how, how is a company, is it a worker-owned cooperative or is there a jerk CEO that kind of, you know, has the <laughs> secretary do all his work for him while he collects a six-figure golden, pa- you know, parachute, whatever, when he steps off because he ru- ruins the company, whatever, you know. Yeah. There, there are those kind of bad actors out there. Um, and our economy has kind of rewarded some of that um, behavior at the top and people are sick of it. Mm-hmm. Uh, people want to know that whoever they're supporting um, has a consciousness about the common good about labor practices and, um, you know, not trying to buy elections <laughs> as, a, as a, cause money is speech these days, apparently. Mm-hmm. Um, and so under that regime, you know, democracy kind of has been put up for sale and we, we have to work together to rectify those imbalances in the system. Um, if we're going to learn how to live more harmoniously on this, this dying planet together. I mean, that sounds grim, uh, but we, we got to get real here, folks. Definitely. <laughs> and yeah. SIMPA members are the first to resonate with that message. And they're like, yes, that someone has finally uh, acknowledged how, how serious uh, the situation is we are in, in terms of the bigger picture. Sign me up. I want to be a part of the solution because we got to get busy. We don't have time. You know, I mean, everyone processes grief, um, ecological and otherwise in their own ways. Um, but, um, <laughs> you know, if you're looking at the flight, flight, fight or freeze response, um, Simba is definitely in the fight category. (laughs) (laughs) There you go. Um, so we're, we're, we're snapping into action, um, and doing as much as we can, um, not thinking, oh, who are we to make a difference? You know, we're going to wait for the federal government, you know, for FEMA to come and save us from these wildfires. No, actually, (laughs) you know, we see systems are under stress. You know, the hospital capacity is being taxed with this Delta resurgence. And the systems that, you know, you were raised to assume would always be there for you may not be there for you in the future. Mm -hmm. And so what do we do about that as a community to, you know, to protect and lift up the most vulnerable? Um, So it's kind of an outside-in systems thinking approach to our economy. And um, the Impact Local program was just about educating business owners about this this system shift, this um, kind of structural shift, this um, what it takes to build a new economy. How do we reward businesses that do well while doing good? 
Uh, and one small victory under that initiative is we were able to work with our city council in the city of Spokane at the time to actually put in a small uh, tax incentive for businesses who become B corporations. And Spokane is the only city that we know of in the world that actually has a, a tax incentive for becoming a B corporation. Heck yeah. So we're, Go girl. <laughs> we're innovating, <laughs> you know, there's things we can do coloring outside of the lines. Um, we don't, you know, we're, we're creating a new rule book. We can't just kind of try to lockstep with the way things have already been done in the past because that's how we got to where we are now. Amazing. If you don't mind me asking, uh, just for my edification, because I get lost sometimes in the whole business world. Um, so the B Corporation, is this uh, something like an S Corporation or an LLC or sole proprietor? No. This is completely... It is not a legal incorporation status. Okay. That's actually a very astute question. Um, so it's a consumer um, kind of independent review certification. So like you can be certified organic you know, for a certain product that means someone came in and expected, inspected and you got points for doing these things and you got minus points for doing those things. It's a framework of evaluation for a comprehensive uh, business model that seeks to optimize for all four categories um, of evaluation rather than just profit. So, yeah, you can't you can't register as a B Corp. Um, you have to work with the B Corp international nonprofit to seek certification and you have to score over 80 points to get that certification and then there's a you know it gets renewed every so often and um it's a whole thing and you should reach out to measurement to learn more about it Uh, measurement is the consulting company that helps companies do this work um locally all right is there a website that someone would go to to reach out to them uh yes it's measurepnw.com i believe that's how well i know my members (laughs) All right, so and so we have the Impact Local in the Northwest, and now you recently just launched Live Local Community Organization. So tell us about Live Local, and what does that campaign aim to do for local businesses? Yes, yeah, so it is a campaign and not an organization. Okay. Um, it is the regional grassroots by local initiative of the Inland Northwest. Woohoo! Yes. Um, and so uh, many other communities have had these kind of by local campaigns for years and years and years. And it was always kind of a mystery why we never, you know, because we have a rich tapestry of locally owned businesses in this area because we're geographically off the beaten path. Um, we have more locally owned stuff than, you know, things on the I-5 corridor where kind of mega companies take over and it's easier for them to vertically integrate and, you know, merge and acquire and grow bigger. But out here, the, the littles and the mediums can hang on longer, right? Because it's just a different situation. Mm-hmm. And we kind of draw from this, this, you know, the region I was telling you about, there's a lot of rural people that come to Spokane and not other places to do shopping and to get farm equipment serviced and so on and so forth. Um, so anyhow, um, we have been doing it on a grassroots basis for multiple years, but with the CARES Act, we were able to launch a, an online marketplace. Uh, you can visit it at livelocalinw.com. And it's the first comprehensive uh, local business directory that allows you to search by business type. Um, so category of business, um, services, entertainment, restaurants, so on and so forth, but also by business neighborhood. So you can see all the businesses in the Garland District or North Monroe or East Sprague, you know, Sprague Union District, et cetera, et cetera. Um, you know, so several of the neighborhood business 
organizations partnered with us, um, also including the South Perry Business and Neighborhood Association, among others. And uh, you can also search for women-owned businesses. You can search for um, minority-owned businesses. Um, when we launched, 30% of the businesses on the website were multi-ethnic-owned businesses. Oh, that's and awesome. that is, you know, thanks to our partners in the Business Equity Coalition who really got their people involved. Um, as, a, you know, they saw the benefit of a collective marketing resource um, when small businesses didn't have money for marketing and, you know, it was the last thing on their minds, yet, you know, when you're so small, you, it's easy to get lost if you're not getting the word out there. Mm-hmm. Um, so um, that, we got that launched in time for the holiday shopping season and it was a massive success. The yeah. traffic went through the roof. Uh, consumers have, you know, they've wanted a, a one-stop shop like that for a really long time. Um, it's offered to totally free to businesses um, only takes about five to ten minutes to get set up and create a profile and list products and services. Um, and it's not like Amazon where there's a platform in between the business and the customer. We send the customers directly to the businesses. Great. Um, so it's it's a total 100% referral um, pass-through, you know, sending that traffic right to the businesses, worked on their website and trying to get people to use the system they've created to shop their inventory online and um, you know, a lot of businesses didn't have any online presence. So we're signal boosting businesses who already had online commerce options available and then creating a little visibility for uh, businesses who are reliant on farmers markets or mm-hmm. festivals or things of that nature. Um, so we and we have actually had some new entrepreneurs through the pandemic as well, you know, listing masks and things that they're making. And um, it's um, growing and we're bringing um, that kind of set of resources and reaching out to businesses in southeastern Washington with support from the Anovia Foundation uh, to engage Palouse entrepreneurs in creating a um, marketing collaborative like this for their region as well. And then with a tie-in to Spokane, we hope to get Spokane people shopping and buying from uh, rural businesses in the Palouse that get involved in the campaign. Great. So, question um so do you see a lot of um businesses that maybe have been doing this for quite a few years tapping into these new resources and these new ways to market themselves I'm wondering kind of what the ratio is to of new businesses to old businesses taking advantage of this we have a really healthy cross-section okay I like to call them legacy businesses the ones that have been out there you know, they're just kind of community institutions. They've been doing it for 20, 30 years. Mm-hmm. Uh, and, you know, millennial entrepreneurs who are kind of all online and that's what they do. Um, it's it's interesting and it's a, a melting pot. And, and that's something that, you know, Simba sees ourselves as kind of a bridge from the old economy to the new. Mm-hmm. Uh, and in the future, we'd like to develop expertise in helping um, locally owned businesses transfer to the next generation instead of just closing down like you saw the white elephant just closed down yeah you know nobody wanted to buy that because it was a sad fishing day yes I was just a tragedy that's (laughs) um you know like because Amazon is a monopolistic entity that's completely overtaking the retail market in a in a you know devastating way that is so overwhelming people hardly even know how to talk about it or what to do about it you know it's just like well I guess the rich guy is gonna gobble us all up you know I guess might as well you know throw in the towel here my my grandchildren don't want to continue because this is not a profitable enterprise anymore because 
you know, Amazon's just getting suppliers in China to duplicate things and then undersell us, and they can afford to do that because they have, you know, all this access to capital that we don't have as a tiny business. I mean, just the the layers of problems around that disparity um, is something we hope to educate more about in the future because mm-hmm. people see it happening, but they don't know why it's you know, why it's, they have a bad feeling about it, but they don't know just how problematic it really is for, for hundreds of people and the people who work there and, you know, the families of the people who work there. I mean, it's a ripple effect, Mm -hmm. um, this monopolization, um, and it's getting into more and more industries. You know, it's not just books anymore. It's gone way beyond that. You know, they're owning distribution channels and like internet infrastructure and it just goes on and on. Um, so anyways, we want, you know, like, um, not, it wasn't Luna, um, Lindemans was another good example, you know, um, Mountain Gear was another good example. Uh, we have a long list of businesses who, that, um, passed on in our community that because of this market shift that didn't need to pass on, how cool would it have been for Lindemans, you know, for the workers at Lindemans to get a loan to buy the business and be a worker-owned cooperative, just like the grain shed. Absolutely. That's the pivot yeah. we need to learn how to make locally. Mm-hmm. Great answer to yeah. Yeah. problems like that. So um, we're going to switch gears one more time. <laughs> um, another really cool um, innovative idea that you have also launched um, is your real estate company, Our Natural Homes, and your recent development, Haystack Heights. And um, tell us about this endeavor. Yes, these are two completely separate um, oh, okay. efforts. So I want to make that very clear. Okay. Uh, a lot of my friends confuse the two. Uh, you know, they're like, oh, you built a neighborhood. You must be getting paid for that. And the answer is no. That, that's okay. a volunteer project. Um, but Our Natural Homes is a small business that I co-own and operate with my partner, Jim Dawson, who okay. is the founder of the small business. Um, We started in Olympia when he built a two-story straw bale home in um, the backyard of his 50s rancher with his previous partner. And um, when we were together there, when I was working in the legislature, I got to live in the straw bale with Jim for three years. And it's a beautiful, um, you know, hand-built, green-built little structure. And he rented out the front house. So he kind of built his own ADU, moved into the ADU, which stands for Accessory Dwelling Unit, and started renting. Hmm. And there was an extra room and, you know, both working on nonprofit salaries, you know, that whole gig, (laughs) you know, rent out a third room to, you know, save money. And um, there was, you know, quarter acres. We did a lot of food growing there. We had a pond. It was a permaculture landscape. And um, I'm a green thumb. I love gardening. And um, so that that was Jim's, you know, start to the business. And then we moved to Spokane and was at the time houses were more affordable. Um, that really, it just, you know, chaps my jaw that kids my age couldn't do what I did back in the day. And, you know, just in the space of 10 years, you know, the, the economic opportunities that I had, uh, those doors slam shut on the next generation and that's wrong. And we need to have a conversation about that as a society, mm-hmm. um, let alone the economic opportunities that were available to the baby boomers that are not available to our generation, right? Right. Um, So anyhow, um, we bought our first house in the Cliff Cannon neighborhood, and we did a comprehensive uh, energy efficiency remodel uh, in partnership um, with a group out of the Spokane Alliance that was doing energy retrofits um, with, you know, union labor. That was a really cool project. Um, Sustainable Works was the name. Um, And that was a really successful 
social enterprise, but um, I guess there was like a, a loan and access to financing issue on the west side of the state, which shut down the project, which was just terrible because it was working great in Spokane. <laughs> uh, but we were one of the last houses to get a sustainable works retrofit before that program ended. Oh, wow. um, and we rented out every room and started, you know, started doing this co-living thing uh, more seriously. And um, it's, you know, great, you know, bikeable neighborhood right next to grocery stores. And um, we were able to refinance and do it again and refinance and do it again. (laughs) (laughs) And so we love to teach our housemates um, and our renters how to compost um, we did a complete, we turned the yard at the Dharma dorm, which is the name of the house in, first house in Spokane. We like to give them a little names, create a sense of place, um, how to, well, we did a edible permaculture landscape there as well. So, um, teaching people, you know, this plant is, this is what it is and it's actually edible and here's how you eat it. And let me text you a recipe and, you know, kind of visiting and trying to find people that are interested in learning about managing the landscape um, out in their backyard in an urban environment. You know, when I was a renter and I had a great deal on a room on Riverside and Brown's Edition when I was at a college, you know, before I went to work in the legislature, um, I convinced my landlord who lived across the street to let me uh, plant a garden. And um, he was like, oh, yeah, yeah, sure, yeah, you'll do it, because everyone says they'll do it, and then they don't follow through. Well, I actually followed through, and I actually grew food, and actually, you know, sent it off to the neighbors for, for sampling, and he's still talking about that community garden. So I just, oh, awesome. um, I think renters, sh- you know, should ideally have access to garden space, mm-hmm. um, and that's something, you know, this podcast, I, I'm curious how you guys always bring it back to equity, because, you know, <laughs> land ownership in this country is incredibly unequal. And it's racially unequal, and we need to talk more about that. Mm-hmm. You know, and, and so do renters not listen to this podcast because they don't own land and they're not allowed to, you know, garden and grow food on their land? You know, I know there's been some progress on that with, like, the urban farming ordinance kind of allowing more uses, and um, there's a lot of education around urban composting, and there's there's some things happening, but there needs to be much more. Because mm-hmm. uh, yeah. a lot of people look at us and like, you know, even the renters don't know to look for someone. They don't even know that's an option. And we're having to coach, we're having to create our own customer, so to speak, mm. you know, because there's, it's not an, enough, there's not enough people looking for that in the culture for it to really be a benefit as a business. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, it's, it's been interesting and fun. And now we are looking to hire a local gardening company that we trust and is a part of the Simba network to, and our business is also a member of Simba, of course, as it should be, <laughs> lead by example, right? Um, to help support the ongoing um, in, engagement in the gardens and the yards mm-hmm. of, of these old homes. So we're able to, all the homes we've bought, there's two people living in them initially, and now we have, you know, five or six people living in them comfortably because families are smaller than they used to be. Um, we're in the midst of a housing crisis and we need to learn to live together in unconventional ways. Um, and this, you know, this model of co-living is a great example of the triple bottom line. You get the social benefit of the community of your housemates. You know, our housemates were not lonely through the pandemic. People were still able to have dinners and available for social support, you know, giving each other rides, you know, to the doctor if they got sick or, you know, helping people, isolate in their bedroom if they weren't feeling well you know our housemates would bring whoever was isolating their meal and leave it outside their door 
you know, how many people have that kind of support network that that's live in? Not very many people, right. you know, and it's good for your pocketbook. So everyone's splitting the costs of the house. The utilities are a lot less, um, you know, and the environmental aspect of it, you know, everyone's sharing that heat bill and sharing, you know, um, the ability to grow on site. You know, if you're off on vacation, someone else can water your plants. And, mm-hmm. you know, there's so many built-in benefits, um, but it's kind of outside the, you know, there's this thing that you have to have your own place if you've made it in the world. And um, we need to kind of get out of that mm-hmm. consumption um, vision for our future because it's just not going to, that's not going to be the way of the world no. anymore. Right. You know, we've kind of hit our carrying capacity on planet Earth as a species. And so we have to learn how to grow in with each other. Um, growth is not something we can infinitely do. And that's something the economic development community needs to wrestle with. Um, there's been, you know, 30 years of research into this, you know, so, uh, solidarity economy movement, if you will, about how we need to think about the dimensions of growth um, otherwise, if you're just growing virally, you're like a cancer on the earth, right? Mm-hmm. <laughs> and we need to ha- look at what does um, steady state growth look like or what does even degrowth look like, you know, in the case of cities like Detroit, for example, mm-hmm. in the wake of, you know, boom industries that were highly extractive. Mm-hmm. Um, so those are the kind of deep questions, you know, we ask at Simba. Um, and you know, our members have many different perspectives on the answers because they're in all different industries or different generations, different uh, back, cultural backgrounds. And so we have a little butterfly that shows the different areas of our mission. The pink is our social inclusion wing. The blue is economic justice and economic equity. The green is the sustainability and earth-mindedness. And then that purple is our unique regional identity. Because the lilac city, you know, Love it. <laughs> and it's my favorite color, but that's not. <laughs> <laughs> well, you make some really good points and I um, just want to go back to the point you made where, yeah, it's, we live in a society now where it's build your fence as tall as you can. And I mean, there's no more, I need to borrow an egg or a cup of sugar or anything like that. Um, you know, I live in an area and it really is so divided. And now that you just kind of laid it out and especially after going through a pandemic and, you know, losing that social interaction with people, I mean, you're totally right. The benefits of co-housing are just huge. That's co-living. Awesome. Or co-living. Yeah, Thank in you. That case, co-housing is a whole nother chapter. Yeah. <laughs> um, but I will say before we talk about co-housing with, with co-living, you know, just in that small company, you know, it, one person has an incredibly productive pear tree and they can say, all right, the pears are picked, come and get them. And another house has cherries that did well. And then another house has plums that did well. So we kind of set up, ideally, you could set up a little exchange of, you know, yard grown veggies and fruits just among, you know, people in that kind of setup. Bring the bartering system back then. Yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> you know, if someone, someone's moving out, they have a bookshelf they don't need, someone's moving in, I'll take that. You know, people have traded mattresses, people have, you know... Uh, bought cars from each other. There's just all kinds of fun things that, you know, people go on camping trips together. People who are newer to the area move into one of these houses with people who've grown up here and they, they get to navigate the community so much more quickly and so much more intimately instead of having to stumble through a couple of years of like, I don't know if Spokane's really right for me or, you Mm -hmm. know, just that sense of belonging is so important. It's just missing in our modern culture. And so we're doing it that at the neighborhood level and co-housing. Okay. So co-housing has um, been in the works for five years. It's um, 
a, an intentional neighborhood of um, 39 families here in Spokane in particular. Our, our project is on three acres in the Perry District in um, the East Central neighborhood. And we um, broke ground about a year and a half ago. And um, we have five families living on site. So it's an inf urban infill project, a multifamily condominium development. And um, seven of the homes were already built on the site. And we have five people living in seven of those homes. Two of them are still being remodeled. And then uh, next week, we're going to start moving in the next uh, 18 families. And wow. then uh, in mid-December, the final 14 families will get to move in. Hopefully, we'll all be there before the end of the year, and we can have a big holiday dinner um, in the common house. So everyone has fully equipped private homes, but the common house is, in our case, a 3,200-square-foot facility. It was designed to look like a barn on the Palouse. Oh, so awesome. Kind of giving that you know regional flair, regional yeah. culture and and history and, you know, visual architecture, a look to a community that is very centered around food, even though it's an urban neighborhood. Mm -hmm. um, we do have a three-quarter acre urban organic farm on the site, which I would love to awesome. invite you to come check out someday. You can get some, some productivity tips. Right now it's more of a hobby garden than a production farm, but maybe once we get on site, we'll have more labor to manage it better. Um, but anyways, um, yeah, well, I'm coming to come to the farm and food symposium. I got to put that in there too, and you'll yes. learn lots. <laughs> yes, so it's um, people will sign up to take turns to cook meals for the whole neighborhood. We're hoping to offer five dinners a week and a brunch on the weekends, and so you might sign up for two, three, or four of those meals as fits your schedule. Um, people will also sign up for prep chef and cleaning and serving shifts, um, and you know. When you're living in an intentional neighborhood like that, you can buy in bulk. You can buy directly from farmers in a way that makes sense. You can process food on site. We actually have these overhanging shelves um, in our gourmet kitchen in the common house that's kind of open on two sides, like a chef's kitchen, like an in inland Pacific kitchen in the Wonder Bread factory. It's kind of like that. Oh, okay. So you can see into the kitchen uh, from the dining space. And um, the shelves from the ceiling are there to display our canned goods, you know. Oh, nice. So we'll, you know, go and we're going to re replanting our orchard. Our trees were overgrown and, you know, not pruned every year. So they grew funky. So we're going to have to start over with smaller trees that our older members can pick without having to get up on a ladder. So we're going to do some, you know, there's a lot of ideas for land use. We have two different chicken flocks that are moving onto the site here shortly. Um, we have many multiple master composters in the community, and um, we're actually getting into Bokashi composting, uh, which, you know, so we're making our own brand on site, and we're able to compost meats, fats, oils, and, in, you know, dairy and bones and things. Um, I was turning my compost pile, and we're putting the Bokashi into the, you know, the hot compost um, to finish it breaking down after it's been pickled or fermented, and my pitchfork went th right through the thigh of a chicken bone. <laughs> oh my gosh. And I was like, wow, this is actually working. Yeah. Because <laughs> it tenderizes those hard substances and they break down um, in ways they wouldn't if they hadn't gone through the Bokashi process. Wow. Um, so we're hoping, you know, some of our community members are, have an aspiration for us to become a zero waste community. 
And you know, can we get enough volunteers and enough interest from our neighbors to be a zero waste neighborhood? And that's a wonderful goal. I hope y'all meet mm-hmm. that. Yeah, isn't it exciting? Super yes. cool. You know, and so we're built. We have a right now. There's we're not all on site yet, so we have a four bin system, and it's just turning over. You know, there's the input bin, and then there's the soil ready in the last bin, and we're using it as fast as we can produce it. Um, we have an old koi pond that was filled in, and we're actually um, doing like sheet mulch composting in that koi pond. And someday, uh, once we move into the new construction down below, we'll need all that soil because uh, the soil that they do in a new construction project is very depleted. You know, it's just they put a you know feet like three inches of quote unquote topsoil, and it, and it dies. You know, because it's a living thing, and if it doesn't have the right supports around it, and the right water, and the right roots, and you know, mm-hmm. rocks to roots, um, it just solarizes and dies. Right. So you mm-hmm. just have this poofy dust, is what my mom likes to call it. <laughs> she's a she's a master gardener here in Spokane. Awesome. And um, so we're gonna need all the soil that we're building in the pond and on other you know, places on the property to dig up and haul down their, you know, wheelbarrow by wheelbarrow to fertilize and green our, our new homes. Mm-hmm. Um, and then maybe I'd like to, if I have time, if I can get my 10th clone um, to be yeah. on the aquaculture team. And I'd <laughs> love to do some, um, you know, fish farming and get the, like, grow tilapia in there and, you know, irrigate vegetables with the water from the pond and do those, those kinds of systems. Super interesting. So we're definitely going to have listeners who want to get in contact and get on, you know, a list or volunteer. So how would they go about getting involved in, you know, co-housing or sure. the project? So the website for Spokane um, co-housing or Haystack Heights co-housing is simply spokanecohousing.com. <laughs> and we do have a newsletter sign up on our website. Um, we will be inviting uh, folks to future events after we figure out this whole Delta variant and after we actually get moved in and the new construction is finished. So nothing hard and fast planned yet, but in the future we do envision community celebrations um, and we love giving garden tours. So if you um, have something to offer the community, get into, you can find me on Facebook. Um, I'm very open. Um, my email is mariah.mckay at gmail.com. Um, and so, yeah, lots, lots going on. Yes, <laughs> lots and lots going on. Mariah, you are a superstar. I don't know when you sleep, but. <laughs> I, you know, I actually need to get, you know, eight to ten hours a day because I'm so intense. If I don't sleep, I fall apart. So I do. I sleep really good. Oh, good. <laughs> I sleep solid. So what's something um, we've talked about a lot, but what's something on the horizon that you're excited for that's up and coming? Hmm. I'm excited for so much. Um, you know, really, I would like to start a family someday. Oh, And, uh, building co-housing for me was a pre-step to that. Um, I didn't want to raise a family in the kind of suburb that my mother raised us as a single mom who worked full time. Um, I, you know, wanted to be a part of a more integrated pro-social community life um, less car oriented, you know, um, and so there's several other young families in the co-housing that have, you know, babies and toddlers and my brother just had his first. Um, and so I became an auntie and I haven't even met my nephew yet because of COVID. Mm -hmm. And, you know, with the back to school season, 
Um, I'm on the board of the university district, and I was just so touched when we were doing our check-in. And instead of making announcements about what you know the president of the hospital is doing or the president of Gonzaga, because that's the kind of people on that board, they're all talking about their teenagers, you know, going off to college and their high schoolers, and um, that just really hit me because you know Spokane is that you know the big small town, small big city um, where people, you know, you're out here, you you. you are necessarily kind of thoughtful about um, where you are in the world because you don't have to stay here if you don't <laughs> want to. You know, it's right. just like we're here for a reason that's not to make a ton of money or to, you know, drive a flashy Lamborghini on the beach. Like, I don't know. There's different places around the world, like, you know, New York and Miami and L.A. and places like that that um, people in Spokane are living here for a reason that you couldn't, you couldn't live out down there, you know, or in those other places. Mm -hmm. And so it is about family. It is about um, access to nature. It is about our unique history. Um, it is about DIY and, and, and not just do it yourself, but do it together is what I like to remind people, you mm -hmm. know, because in co-housing, um, we couldn't have community scale Bokashi on our own. <laughs> right. You know, you, you, if you're working a full-time job and you're living in the city, you can only do so much when you are working 40, 50 hours, you know, if maybe you have a side gig, maybe, you know, you're raising family, you just can't do all the, th the green things. But if you're doing them in community, they all become that much more possible. So I am, what I'm looking for on the horizon that I'm particularly excited about is right-sizing my job, making some transitions in our business, moving into co-housing, and finally, 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 um, you know, biology willing, being in a place where I feel like I can start a family in the way that I've always wanted to. Oh, that's awesome. Well, I think this is a good little transition to our Spitfire round, where our listeners can get to know you just a little bit more. Um, so are you down for it? Let's see what comes out. <laughs> <laughs> Let's see what happens here. Okay. Let's see. What's your favorite emoji? Mm, definitely, I'm an overuser of the care emoji. The carrot? Care. The oh. care emoji. Oh, the care. Okay. The squeezing the heart emoji. Yes. Okay. <laughs> yeah. Let's see. What's a food you can't live without? Ooh. Um, hmm. I want to think of a local food. In our garden, we have two varieties of quince, which are just to die for. Delicious. We're making quince cordial and roasting them on the half shell. And um, we have medlar that I made tarts out of one year that I'd love to get back to that. We've, we've got a lot of weird. Um, we've got um, persimmon um, on our site. And jujube is another one that ripens later in the year um so oh, cool that yeah that kind of the late ripening tree fruits of my backyard are my <laughs> favorite <laughs> yum all right so i'm gonna go with this one here if you if you'd be any one of the pollinators out there what would you be and why mm, i would be a surfed fly <laughs> because they eat as many aphids as ladybugs do I did that not awesome know answer. that. Heck yeah. <laughs> <laughs> well, you just happened to hit on one of my nerdy sides. <laughs> I just joined the Insects of Eastern Washington, North Idaho Facebook group, 
And um, that's a great way to identify insects in your garden is to snap a picture and post it in that group. It's, I get so much joy out of seeing all the bug pictures in that Facebook group. <laughs> Can you say that group one more time? I think it's um, insects of eastern Washington slash north Idaho. And there's a couple of entomologists in there, and, and they just tell you exactly what it is. And people post links on, like, management techniques. If it happens to be a pest insect, I've discovered many pests. Like, I have uh, a unique species of uh, walnut fruit fruit fly that's infected one of my trees in my garden. Um, we have black locust borers. Um, all kinds of... <laughs> but because we have a, a garden with a lot of um, bird habitat, you know... We don't have pest problems um, in our vegetables and fruits because everything's eating everything, so everything's kind of in balance and held in check. Nice. Yeah, I love nature. Yeah. <laughs> All right. If you could have any superpower, what would it be and why? Hmm. Um, gosh. <sighs> this is going to sound pathetic. So I have a superpower. It's called individuation. Uh, but I have that one, so I can't use that to answer the question. <laughs> one I don't have that I wish I had was the um, ability to innately track time. I know that sounds silly, oh, but I actually have time blindness. It's really hard for me to know how much time has passed um, because of the way my attention is in my brain. <laughs> so I have to I have to do a lot of work. Like I have to habitually look at my phone every you know five minutes just to remind myself what time it is. Because I could spend a lot of time on a really intense task and think 10 minutes went by and five days went by. Or, you know, five seconds could go by and I could be excruciatingly bored and think I've been sitting there for two hours. So time telling. <laughs> Don't take it for granted. Most people yeah. can do it, but not me so well. <laughs> yeah, that's our running joke at the farm. We're, well, Grant, our farm manager, always tells me I'm time blind. Because I'm like, oh, yeah, it'll take one hour. Yeah, five hours later. Still doing the same project. You and me it's both, like, hey, brother. <laughs> yeah. Some people say, you know, um, Latin American time or farm time or, you know, we're just not in our own different time zone. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Sometimes it's nice, though. It's a, it can be a strength, but yes. it can also be a weakness. <laughs> yeah, I was going to say that would sound like a, more of a strength for me. <laughs> zone out and get it done. Yeah. All right. And then when we asked all of our guests, Beatles or the Rolling Stones? Oh my goodness. I think I'm more of a Beatles. Yeah. Yeah. I think I am. Awesome. I got that from my dad. Nice. Yep. I'm that's I'm the same way. My dad, that's how I grew up, was on Beatles. So awesome. Well, Mariah, thank you so, so much for spending your time with us. We know that you are busy and so we appreciate you being here. Um, one last time for our listeners, can you just tell them uh the websites they need to go to to get involved in some of these great projects and programs that you just Discussed. Sure. To team up with Simba, the Spokane Independent Metro Business Alliance, you can visit us at spokaneindependent.org. And uh, we also have an events calendar there. Um, hopefully, coming out of the Delta variant, we'll be offering more events. We've done farm to table uh, field trips before. Awesome. Yeah, we went out to um, Lazy R Ranch and then we had uh, meatloaf served um, with cows raised on the ranch by beth at the mason jar in downtown genie we've done we've done a lot of fun little things like cool. that um and we want to do more in the future um and then for the buy local initiative live local in the northwest check that out at live local there's also a newsletter you can sign up for there 
not a lot of correspondence, but when we do send something out, it usually includes a special discount um, and you know new features about new businesses that have gotten onto the site or other uh, local events where you'll find a lot of local vendors. And then the co-housing website is SpokaneCoHousing.com. Awesome. Well, make sure you guys check out all those great resources. And again, thank you for being here. Thanks for the opportunity. It's been fun. Rocks to Roots is sponsored by the Office of Farmland Preservation. Office of Farmland Preservation is a program within the Washington State Conservation Commission that works to address the rapid loss of working farm and forest lands in our state. Together, the Washington State Conservation Commission and conservation districts provide voluntary, incentive-based programs that empower private landowners to implement conservation on their property. You can learn more about their programs and services by visiting their website, scc.wa.gov.